Hey everybody, it's Aaron. So we had a little bit of a COVID scare in our house here. So we've been quarantining for the last several days. Everybody's okay. We're just being cautious. And so I've had a lot of time to think as I've been uh, locked in my bedroom the last few days. And one of the things that came to mind was how important connecting with an audience has been to my entire career as a storyteller. And in fact, not just important, but I was thinking about the, the fact that it is the thing that drives me every single day. It's my reason for doing it. I don't just tell stories for myself. It's the fact that every story that I tell, there's a possibility on the other end of this microphone, somewhere out there, someone is receiving that story, listening to it, and it's possibly bringing some value or entertainment to their life. That phenomenon is the thing that completes the cycle and what makes it all worth it. And so I was thinking how much that means to me. And then it, it reminded me of this experience that I had and a story that I've told on this podcast early on in the Seven Minute Stories catalog. I think it was episode 35. It was called Mumford's Son. And it's a freaking hilarious and I think touching story that really speaks to that point that I was just describing. And it really just came to mind. I was like, I should reshare that story because many of you, especially new audience members, haven't heard it or you haven't gone back and, and went through the whole catalog and listened to it. So I just think it's a story that really demonstrates how far, not just an artist, but how far I would go and what experiences uh, that I would endure in an effort to always connect with an audience and finding how meaningful it is no matter the size of the audience. So again, like I said, if you haven't heard it before, great, enjoy this. And if you have, it's even better the second time around. Without further ado, here's Mumford's son. And also stay healthy, uh, be well, thinking about you. And I'll talk to you next week. Enjoy. So let me set the stage for you. I'm backstage in a small theater venue in Portland, Maine. I'm pacing back and forth, very excited. Look up at the clock. It's almost showtime. It's almost eight o'clock. And I'm about to perform an hour long monologue about student debt in America, my personal story, but about student debt and its effect on American culture. And I was anticipating a sellout crowd. There was only about 75 seats in the venue. It's my favorite kind, very intimate. But I could just see the sellout on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I could envision it in my head. And I was confident it was going to happen. One, because student debt is a big issue in Maine. They have one of the highest student debt ratios in the country. That's why they kept bringing me back. That's why I became a mainstay of Maine. But also I had confidence, real confidence, because I had done a lot of earned media. And I was able to do press all week in Portland while enjoying lighthouses and lobster rolls. I was doing press. I did a conservative talk show radio program where I went back and forth and had civil but elevated banter. And it was just, it was really good. I could just imagine everybody listening, getting psyched up for the performance. And then I did an interview with the Portland Press Herald, the newspaper there. And they did a great uh, interview was going to be featured on the front page of the arts and culture section. I mean, for me, this was as close to the New York Times as I was ever going to get until I realized the next interview I did was with an NPR affiliate in Maine. And I thought, NPR, I'm such a radio geek. It's like a wet dream. 
And the journalist comes down from the, the NPR station. He watches me rehearse earlier that week and asks me thoughtful but not invasive questions. And he walks around with his microphone, just collecting ambient sound as I perform in the background, just kind of observing me like a wild animal. I could just imagine the story he was going to produce. So all of that put together, I figured we're going to have a sellout. So it's getting close to eight o'clock. I'm about to go on stage and I start listening to see who is in the audience. And you can tell this as a performer in a venue like this, usually by the conversation that you hear in the crowd, but also the amount of indiscriminate rappers. And I'm not talking about musical rappers. I'm saying rappers as in candy that's being opened or food. So food, rappers, and conversation. And I'm listening and I don't hear anything. And we're at eight o'clock and the stage manager comes back, this nice young lady. We just had a box office, a stage manager, her and me. And she comes back and she goes, hey, I got some good news and some bad news. I said, well, what's the good news? She said, well, the good news is all your press was fantastic. Oh, that NPR story, you wouldn't believe it. I said, I can't wait. And she said, I'm going to bring you in a copy of the newspaper tomorrow for your performance. I said, that's awesome. I said, what's the bad news? She goes, there's probably not going to be a lot of people at your performance tonight. I said, why not? She said, well, didn't you hear? Mumford and Sons is in town. I said, Mumford and, Mumford and Sons? Who are Mumford and Sons? Are they like a law firm? She was like, no, no, there's this like really big band and they're in town and they're probably going to draw all the audience from, from Portland. And so don't worry as she walks away, more people will come on Saturday and Sunday. She comes back. I'm still standing in the same place. I'm in shock. And she says, I have some good news and some bad news. I said, give me the good news. She goes, people are here. I said, that's awesome. She goes, you want the bad news? I said, yes. She said, there are two people here. I said, there's two people to watch my show in like a 75 seat venue. She said, yes. I said, tell them the show is canceled. I'm not going to embarrass myself and them. This is like awful. Like, what am I going to go do a performance for in a tube? This is embarrassing to the subject matter, to them. I don't want to waste their time or my time. I was really pissed. And she goes, okay, I'll talk to them. And I'm pacing back and forth, trying to figure out what I'm going to do and what this means for my career. Like, like what, what, a, what a stab in the back, what a, what a kick in the gut to, to your ego. And she comes back and she goes, and she's very nice. She says, listen, these two people drove two hours from Northern Maine. They heard you on NPR. They can only come tonight. And they just wanted to be a part of this performance. They have a kid who has student debt. They're really struggling. They just wanted to be a part of tonight. And I thought about it and I thought about the reasons why I do this. And I tried to just swallow my pride and I went out there and you know what you do? You go out there and you tell the pe the two people how awkward this is. I revealed the elephant in the room. They laughed about it. I made a couple of Mumford and Sons jokes. They laughed about that. And then you tell them what I did, which is I'm going to give you a performance the same way that I would give a performance in front of 10,000 people. And I did, I went all in and they loved it. And it was a beautiful monologue. It was like we were in a living room, just having a conversation. And afterwards they hugged me and I hugged them. And we laughed about the awkwardness of the night, but it was actually really special. This thing, which was kind of a disaster ended up being a special moment for me. And it gave me so much confidence for the next night when I was going to perform because I knew there would be people there because thank God Mumford and Sons would, was leaving town. 
And so Saturday night, when I'm backstage and I hear all the candy wrappers opening and I hear all the conversation and the stage manager comes back and she goes, it's a full house. This is awesome, Aaron. I said, yes. And she goes, and guess what? I have some good news and some bad news. I said, oh my God. She goes, the good news is it's sold out and I have the copy of the newspaper article you did. I said, that's great. She goes, the bad news is they got the name wrong. They called you Anthony Califato. I said, who's Anthony Califato? She goes, I don't know. They called you Anthony Califato. I said, my name's Aaron Califato. I said, everybody in Portland read this. This is on every single hard paper out there. She goes, yes. And so I said, okay. And I walked out on stage in front of 75 plus people. I said, hi, everybody. I know you were expecting Anthony Califato, but my name is Aaron Califato. And it's the same story. And I'm happy to share it with you. And right as I was about to do the monologue, my mind wandered back to Friday evening and the two people that came. And I just thought about that really cliche saying that we hear all the time. You know, if you can just reach one person. Well, that previous Friday night in Maine, I didn't reach just one person. I reached two. Seven Minute Stories is created and performed by Aaron Califato. Audio production by Ken Went. You can connect with Ken at media216.com. Original artwork done by Pete Whitehead. See Pete's work at petewhitehead.com. And lastly, I'm Corey Burse, and I coordinate the podcast. Make sure and tune in next week for another story.